Hi, it's Alexandria. I'm the Care Girl. This is the Care Girl Podcast. Today we have Dr. Bruce Taylor. How are you doing today? Beautiful, beautiful, wonderful. Nice to see you again. Thank you so much for coming on today. I am excited to hear your story and to share it with our listeners. Okay. It is a beautiful day today. We're in Midtown. This is Midtown, correct? This is Midtown, correct. Midtown, Atlanta. So early in the morning. So, I just want you to introduce yourself sure, and sure. tell us how you got on the journey of becoming MD. Gotcha, wow. <laughs> this is about to, uh, I guess. In a nutshell. Yeah, I'll give you the bullet points. Uh, <laughs> briefly, I'm from San Francisco, California, uh, uh, raised there, uh, lived in New York for a couple of years, went into the military. Actually. Okay, I saw that. I saw yeah, that on your wall. I said, yeah, okay, military. Yeah, okay. I was in the Special Forces, so known maybe to some of your audience members as the Green Berets. So I was on the A team. Beautiful stuff, jumping out of airplanes and things like that. So after that four year uh, tour, um, I went to college in New York. And then medical school was also there at uh, Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Got into uh, um, working with um, obstetrical patients for residency, also in New York City. Did a fellowship in San Francisco back home where I did fetal surgery. It's called maternal fetal medicine, perinatology, about wow. fine procedures, yes. operating on the unborn, taking care of uh, mothers who had some certain risk conditions. Wow. So I was able to do that uh, for, for a good while. And then fast forward, came to Atlanta about 20 years ago and was still doing that work, teaching, taking care of patients. And then within the past maybe three years or so, uh, because of uh, my skill sets, I was able to pivot into pain management. Yes. Mainly because I was also teaching ultrasound. I wrote articles about ultrasound. I did ultrasound fellowship. So I can take that technology and transition it into actually uh, managing patients who were in pain, such as giving injections and things like that. Yes, so we, I did walk through the clinic, and it's, yeah. it's, it's set up pretty pretty nicely. Um, how did you how did you um, pivot to pain management um, right, right. from working with, with babies right. to working with uh, people who are in pain? Right. Well, the and I thought about that myself, but the, the key um, I guess factor is that when you're dealing with people who are having high risk pregnancies. There's a heightened anxiety and sensitivity to what can potentially happen versus uh, what cannot and what are the options. Yeah. And so in those relationships, unborn child, family, mother, you spend a lot of time talking about choices. Yeah. And what's the recommendation and or what could be the potential good or bad that can come of a certain choice. So the ability to... I call it shared decision making, by the yeah. way, and actually wrote a book about it. The the ability to share the information about what the choices are, uh, uh, for me, transitioned well into doing pain management because oftentimes I'm seeing patients who aren't getting any uh, solutions to their pain, yeah. and they've gone through maybe several different types of providers, and now they just want to be able to have conversations about what are the options, what's the diagnosis, what are, what's going to be of benefit versus not. So. The ability to transition from it's called perinatology, yeah. dealing with the unborn and doing procedures, to adults, young adults with pain, you still have to be able to share in the information so they can make the best choices for themselves. Makes sense. So, so that's how that was able to happen, and uh, for me, it's been you know very rewarding. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, predominantly, do you work with people in personal injury, or is it, or is it a little bit of this, a little bit of that? It's about I would say about maybe eighty. 
percent or so is personal injury patients, and I use, and that's how I get them to come across my radar. To be honest, because once we resolve the personal injury uh, process, I call it, they still may have some other elements that are still bothersome for them. Yeah. Uh, the personal injury may have dealt with back pain, but they've always had maybe like a foot injury. Yeah. So now what do I do? So the ability to see those patients and to continue their care long term yeah. is what uh, the uh, the pain management piece uh, is about. Yeah, um, I've been in a few accidents, I would say. Um, I'm blessed to not have any pain, uh, like long-term pain yeah, that, I, yeah. that I can think of. Right, um, right. Definitely deal with a little bit of headaches here or there. Right, um, right. My mom, she deals with more of the back pain. Uh, okay. She has to get those injections and things of that nature. Right, right. So you, you do more of a, a maintenance for pain, basically, yeah. versus the surgical route. Right, correct. And... Uh, to use your mom as an example, say a patient who does have back pain, uh, they may qualify for getting maybe two or three injections a year to help resolve that. Not to keep doing it all the time, but to help their body heal somewhat. There's different types of treatment also. Uh, to use back pain as an example, there's something called uh, platelet-rich plasma. Mm -hmm. Where you draw the person's blood, you spend it in, in a centrifuge, you separate certain components, and you get a, 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 a platelet-free plasma portion of that. And if you can put that back into the area where there is pain or injury, you can help the body regenerate. Yeah. So they may just need one treatment for that. Yeah. So it's taking that patient and saying, okay, now that you have this pain, what's the best way to approach that? And we try to use like an integrated, holistic approach. Uh, sometimes we'll just uh, have, have, have like patients use CBD. Yeah. Uh, We'll do massage, we'll also recommend chiropractic care. Uh -huh. So someone to walk down the road with them while they're making the choices. Yes. That shared decision making component again. So that makes sense. Yeah. It yeah. makes sense. Um yeah. because you know, um I do have the in home care business and we take care of people who after injury. Mm -hmm. Um and I still I do see people who have the have the real pain. Right. And you right. have people who don't have I would say they don't have the real pain, but sometimes they, they just don't have the right interventions. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it is is a little bit prolonged. Right. right. Um, so immediately. So after accident, do you think people should immediately go into surgery, a, a surgery option, or should they try to do an intervention like yours uh, first? So it just depends on what the injury is. Uh, basically depends, but the short answer is that about 90 Five percent of people can approach it conservatively without going into surgery. Mm. Um, I've had a couple patients who they had an accident, and by the time they get to me, they were told they needed surgery. But then I ask them, "Have these treatments been offered to you? Did you do this yet? Do you do physical therapy, chiropractic care? Do you do conservative management?" And then the things that we're able to share with the patient and have them make choices about about ninety-nine percent of them don't need surgery. Yeah. Because they've done some things, one, to be part of the process, and two, they got treatments that actually work. Yeah. So we'll do uh, like cortical steroid injections into a joint or into the, the spine to help resolve a pain issue so you don't need to go to surgery. The challenge with surgery is that once you commit to that, it could be uh, like being on a treadmill. Yeah. Um, I say this often, the most common cause for back surgery is back surgery. <laughs> so, yeah. so once yeah. you get it once, you got scarring in here and things like that. And now there are some cases where that is necessary, mm -hmm. but there should be a stepwise progression to get to that. And more importantly, the patient, client, should understand what those choices are while they're going along that path. 
and then they'll be able to make better choices for themselves. They'll be mentally in the game. They can be aligned with the surgical choice if need be. Yeah. But to go right from something into surgery is, is you probably uh, not getting all the information you need. Yeah, yeah. and I think that um, some of some of the attorney, uh, people, you know, I'm not gonna say people, attorneys, they may want this option because right. hey, this may, this makes it look better. This is a million dollar case. Right. Um, right. So I think right. that the physicians. Um, uh, providing the care, the medical providers definitely should have a voice. Right. Versus, hey, you know, this is something that's going to look good and make us right. have more money. Well, um, you know, because right. it just, it just, it just really, I feel like it, it's, it's, it takes a team to advocate for the patient, not only the patient, but it's going, it takes the medical providers to understand, like, hey, I could just sign on and just right. go with it, but if if you have the the patient's best interest in mind, that's right. that's who you want to work. Right, and agreed. I mean, I think physicians have to make a clinical judgment to see if certain things uh, should be um, suggested. Having said that, all the attorneys I work with do not do not uh, infer that a certain type of treatment should occur. Okay. Uh, all the ones that I work with state that you are the medical provider. You offer your clinical judgment, and if those are the recommendations that you're providing, then I can support that. So. I'm glad to say that the attorneys that I work with and even the chiropractors don't try to guide the management. Yeah. We let the clinical condition dictate the management. Absolutely. So, so it's a, it's a, it makes for a better relationship. It makes for, for more trust between the attorneys, the clients, the patients, and me as a provider. So, yeah, 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 I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to um, go into uh, our next segment um, and talk about if you've had any difficult seasons in your journey as a MD right. and like kind of tell us a little bit about it and how right. you got through it um, and kind of your inspiration to other other black doctors, male right. doctors I would right. say, right. who may have been going through something similar or they may be going through a rough time dealing with you know racism and dealing right. with just the statistics of what, what happens inside of a hospital or right. a clinical right. standpoint. Just like me as a neurotech, um, I have definitely been profiled Right. A lot of times, um, and I would say, some as a black woman, it's a little bit, it's a, still a little bit more different than mm-hmm. how black men are treated. In the oh, industry. sure, the sexism for sure, uh, and misogyny, and all kind of challenging dynamics that we find ourselves in. Um, but if I hear your question correctly, some of the things in my journey. Uh, well, let me back up. I mentioned I was in the special forces, yes, which takes a certain kind of. Uh, uh, psychological fortitude, to be honest. It's not just the physical piece of jumping out of planes and walking 50 miles and all that stuff. It takes a certain mental uh, uh, capacity. Definitely capacity and awareness to, to kind of get through that. Having said that, if for those in the audience, when you're going through your journey, especially in a, in a medical establishment, hospital setting, I myself found that even though I was an advocate for my patients, the establishment that I was with wasn't necessarily supportive of me. Mm. And so, of course, being black male, uh, coming from a different background, you're usually uh, uh, somewhat isolated, if you will, regarding who's on staff with you, who's working with you. And then if the medical establishment is not necessarily supportive of what you're doing, they will come after you. And when you sense that, I want to say to the audience and to anybody who's going to medicine, it's real. It is not in your head. It's not you being a little bit more sensitive. 
the truly things being done to trip you up. And because you don't have the hardware, they can set the traps for you. Absolutely. So it's just so if you start to sense that, it, it's, it's real. I would say go right there first. And now that it's real, how do I start getting allies? How do I start uh, having conversations with family and friends so that you don't feel isolated in your thinking yeah. and thereby continuing to go down a road that which is setting a trap for you? So the resilience for me, just to give you a brief uh, piece of that, when I was doing maternal fetal medicine, supporting the choices of mothers to take care of their bodies, to have a certain type of birth experience, I could have those conversations and I can also support those mothers because of my skill. Yes. A lot of providers couldn't do what I did. So I was viewed as, I guess, a threat, if you will, to their bottom line. Patients would gravitate to me away from what they were being able to provide. Because I could provide a lot of different things. Um, and I had the extra training as a perinatologist to do procedures. So uh, it was very challenging for me when I was at one particular hospital, which I won't name, where the medical staff was trying to gaslight my, my reputation. And mothers came out and, and, and fought for, for me. They, they had protest rallies because uh, they wanted their choices to be maintained. Yes. They viewed it as their choices being taken away from them for no good reason, no scientific reasons. So no issues of safety and all that stuff. They just didn't, the, this particular hospital didn't want my service to be provided, which would challenge their doctor's ability to also provide a service. Yeah. So how did I get through that? Just digging down deep, emotionally, uh, uh, being supported by family, real friends. You'll yes. see all those, you see all those are <laughs> in, in a crunch, by the way. Yes. So real friends and, uh, and getting through it, holding on to uh, what I felt was in my center. Yeah. So maintaining the, this kind of awareness and consciousness and being centered. And then you'll get through it because uh, I guess good will triumph over evil. So that's yeah, what absolutely. I was Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. That helped me a lot. And this happened about maybe five or six years ago. Yeah, So. yeah, yeah. yeah I appreciate that story. And yeah. I just I just wanted to say that I really, I really admire your resilience um, okay. because I, I know people who have been through things similarly and they right. just switch packages totally or just, right. Just was like I'm done. I'm done with this right, because because shopping. it's exhausting. Yeah. I'm, it, it's exhausting to constantly say I am smart enough. Mm -hmm. I am good enough. Right. I do know. Right. You know, and right. and then you know your level of expertise. I mean, you, you probably studied you studied your whole entire life, and yeah. this is yeah. something that is a passion of yours. Right. Um. So it's no one can take that to, from you. They, right. they can't take what trying, you know. They're trying to take it from. Yes. You. That's what you. That's what you said. Like, oh my God, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, because that their journey is not your journey, right. and you have your right. own reasons on why you do that. And then I think that. Um, People need to identify like what are those reasons. Right. What would you say your were your top three reasons on um, constantly keep keep going after after what you believe in? Um, I, I I just got a lot of it from my patients who were coming to me from far and near, a couple states away. In fact, they come from the Carolinas, Florida, Texas. They were, were traveling here. Yeah, traveling wow. here to get the service that I was providing. But they were sharing a similar story that where they were. No one was listening to them. No one was able to provide the choices that they felt were, were right for them. Uh, a lot of what I was doing was supported by science and clinical evidence, but the patients weren't getting that information or those options where they were. So what helped me get through this, this challenging period was the, actually the patients, because they reaffirmed to me that what I was doing was the right thing. Yeah. So 
hearing their voices saying, okay, this is right, I studied this, I can do this, and we're doing it. And hundreds of, if not thousands of beautiful stories uh, come out of those patient relationships. So that was one, one significant component. Uh, the other was, I had certain allies in my field who, uh, who would say, Brad, you're doing the right thing, boots, keep going, boots, we love you. So it was nice to get that acknowledgement from some of my colleagues. Not all of them, but just, just, just a few you know, key yeah. people. And then, of course, you know, family. My, you know, my better half, my wife, um, um, was behind me 100%. My kids, family, my, my extended family, like, what are they trying to do to you? You're the best one, you know? So it's nice to get those words of encouragement from them, and I know they have a bias. But those three components uh, made yes. it work for me, yeah. to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Now, mind you, there were some very kind of like challenging times and dark days, but I could always see getting to the other side. Yeah. Things didn't close in on me totally to where I would give up on that process. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Sure. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, how can the people find you? Um, are you on okay. any social media, um, LinkedIn, yeah. all that good stuff? Well, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> that's the one I. I that, that's my go-to. Uh, it's easier to add things to that, if you will. But I'm here in uh, Midtown Atlanta on Boulevard, um, near the Fourth Ward, near Pone City Market. We're across from Atlanta Medical Center, which is a facility that no longer is operating, but there's a lot of professional buildings around the medical center that are still open. Doctor's offices are here. Um, and uh, my contact information, the address is 285 Boulevard, Suite 345A, Atlanta, Georgia, 30312. And of course, uh, you can call the office, or go to our website, blackbalancepaincare.com um, or call the office at 404-618-6825. So, awesome. Yeah. So, if you all need his services, please contact him. I will have that all the information in the show notes as well and let them know that the care girl sent you. Make sure you like, follow, and subscribe and go over to our YouTube to see more of the care girl podcast and experience. Stay well.